I want to talk more about this life of faith today. We're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. We're looking at uh, this, this series that we're doing on the life of the prophet Elisha from 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is a story all about provision. And what I want to say to you today is this, that God will always provide for you when you entrust yourself fully to him. God will always provide for you when you entrust yourself fully to him. And that seems to be the central message of this story that we read today. It might interest you to know in this book called Two Kings, which is a a history of the kings of Israel, that this lady who gets six verses or seven verses of this entire book, she gets more written about her than many of the kings get written about them. And that goes to show you that in God's grand scheme, that it's not about how influential or powerful you are, Your life is primarily about this. How do you relate to God? And how do you respond to his word? And this lady responded in an astonishing way to God's word, and God's power flowed into her situation. And today, no matter what your background, God wants to meet with you. And I want to talk about God being your provider. And right at the start of this story, we uh, read this phrase that says that she was the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. That is to say that she was part of this group uh, called the prophets in in Israel. Israel was the community of God's people. And within that community, she was part of a core group. And Israel, if you don't know, you probably will, was part of, uh, was God's family on the earth. They were descendants of Jacob. Jacob got renamed Israel. This was his extended family many, many years later. And they were a covenant people of God. They were a special people. God had a special relationship with them. They were descended from Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise from God. God gave Abraham a promise uh, that that one day the nations would be blessed through him. But all through the scripture so far, you, you find... That God is a God of revelation. And what the story so far is this, that that, that God is unknowable. He's the creator God. Yet in his mercy, he chooses to reveal himself to certain people in scripture, the people of Israel, and he shows them things about himself. And his covenant name is Yahweh, or the English version is Jehovah. 
And throughout the history of God's people in the Old Testament, he, there, there were special occasions where God showed them something brand new about himself that they hadn't really experienced before. There was a time when uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt, for example, and uh, they were, God had delivered them from the Egyptian people. God had sent plagues on the, on the Egyptians because they refused to let God's people go. And one of the plagues was that God polluted the water supply in Egypt. The Nile turned to a blood color, and they couldn't drink the water. And when the people of God got delivered out of Israel, uh, got delivered out of Egypt and into the desert, they came across a water supply, but it was dirty. It was polluted. And the people started to panic. They said, oh no, we're going to die. Like the Egyptians, we're going to suffer the same fate as them. God, God is displeased with us. And God purified the water in front of them. And he said, you don't need to fear what the Egyptians feared because I am the Lord, your healer. He said, this is the kind of God I am to you. I'm a covenant God, and my covenant with you as my people is this. I'm healer. And from then on, they knew him as the healing God. There was another time when a, a, a really um, cowardly guy by the name of Gideon uh, was sitting there. The, the nation was oppressed by Midianite enemies. They kept stealing all their crops. The nation was in a right state. And God turns up and shows himself to Gideon. And he says, hey, Gideon, you and me, we're going to change the world. And Gideon is so not up for this, it's unbelievable. And uh, in fact, the, the, what you read in the Bible is he is terrified. He is terrified of the prospect of leading people into war, and he's terrified of the prospect of having an encounter with God. And he's having such a wobbly about it that God comes to him and says, peace, Gideon, peace, shalom, is the, is the Hebrew word. And Gideon at that moment, he says, I've got it. He says, the Lord is peace. He understood something about God. And from that moment on, he built an altar. And he called it, the Lord is peace. Every time he felt fearful from then on, he would have just looked back at that altar and he says, I've got nothing to fear because the Lord is peace. And the people of Israel knew that he was peace. It was part of their history now. But the very first name that God reveals himself as in, in the Bible is to Abraham. And Abraham, unlike anybody else before him other than Adam and Eve, had never experienced God. He'd never known people who'd followed God or trusted God or loved God. And God showed himself to Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I'm going to give you an offspring. I'm going to give you a child through whom the world is going to be blessed. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were, were advanced in years. They were too elderly to have kids. But there was something about Abraham and there was something about the God who'd shown himself to Abraham, that Abraham utterly trusted everything he said. And I don't know if you ever had that experience where you've met somebody new, and, but you find yourself pouring out your heart to them, and, and you think, why, why have I just told them all this stuff about myself? And the answer is always the same. It's because I, I feel a sense of trust. I feel like they're listening to me. The God who revealed himself to Abraham, even in those brief moments of encounter, was so utterly trustworthy that Abraham said, I totally, totally trust him. Now, in what's one of the darkest chapters of the entire Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 2, after the promise is fulfilled, where God gives Abraham and Sarah a son, one of the darkest chapters of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 is where God says to Abraham, okay, Abraham, take Isaac, your son, and I'd like you to take him and sacrifice him on the top of the hill I show you. 
and it's a dark chapter. It's probably the one in your children's Bibles if you're a parent that you don't read that one late at night with your kids. It's a horrific story. And you read the story of Abraham leading his son Isaac and preparing the altar and putting his son on the altar. Yet Abraham utterly trusts God. He doesn't know what this is going to turn out like, but he knows that God is utterly trustworthy. So he gives himself to God. He says, well, I don't know how this is going to end, Lord, but even if you're going to bring my son back from death, I know that you're to be trusted. And just as he's picking up his knife, the angel of the Lord comes, is like a blue flashing light, it's an emergency moment, the angel comes and says, hey, stop it right now, Abraham, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to kill your son. God was never going to do that. But he says, Abraham, I know that you trust me now. I fully know you've proven your trust in me. And it says at that moment that Abraham saw a lamb. Uh, he saw a, a, like a, a, a ram, sorry, in the, in, the, in the thicket that had been caught. And just as he was about to offer the sacrifice, he realized the sacrifice was not going to be his son. It was going to be the substitute. And so they took the ram and they sacrificed it. And this is what Abraham said to his son. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And that place was then named Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And every single Israelite person on the planet, including this lady that we're talking, to, talking about today, would have known this much about God. He is the God who always provides. And as in the case of Abraham, he doesn't usually provide too early. He usually provides at the last moment when we actually need him to. But he's always the God who provides. And as Abraham found that God's solution when he provides for us often shows that he's been working in the background all along, that the ram was already there. And this lady is going to discover that God already had a plan for her and her provision. So the lady in Two Kings, she knows this story. She knows this is who God is. He is Jehovah Jireh. She's a godly lady. In fact, her husband was a godly man. It says in verse 1 that he revered the Lord. She had two sons. It's probably likely that they're dependent sons because they don't seem to be part of her financial provision. And here's how she comes to Elisha. I don't pick any sense of panic in her voice. I don't come to her with, with, with a, 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 a sort of an agenda of saying, this is just wrong. They call him Jehovah Jireh and see what he's doing. She seems to be coming saying, how is God going to provide in this situation? Can you help, Elisha? She's trusting. Her husband has died. Her children are dependent. And she finds herself in serious debt and the lenders are closing in on her. Yet in the middle of all that, she is trusting God. Do you know, when you're following Jesus... When you're trusting God, it doesn't mean that things go well for you all the time. That's a fallacy. In fact, Jesus said, you'll have trouble in this life if you follow me. But how we respond to trouble is the all-important thing. 
And what I find fascinating about this lady's response is that it's a response of utter faith in God. Do you see that? Because when, when trouble comes our way, when hardship comes our way, we have a choice that we make. And I've seen this many times in, in my own life and in the life of others. Now, this is, there are some people, when, when trouble comes their way, when they experience extreme loss, for example, maybe the loss of a loved one, and, and, and maybe thus far in their Christian life, they've always been a little bit up and down and a bit fragile, and I've always thought, oh, I'm not sure this is going to go well for their faith. This is going to really set them back. Yet what I find about that person is that they end up trusting God more. They dig into God more. They love God more. They say, well, I don't have any other solution. I'm going to go for God. I'm going to call God the solution in this situation. They pray more. Other people who, you thought, actually, they're pretty switched on. They, they, they seem to get how it all works. In the moment of crisis, they seem to lose the plot completely. And they, they, this faith, they say, well, if God loved me, then this wouldn't be happening in my life. How you respond to crisis is all important. This lady shows us how to respond in faith. She comes to God. She doesn't walk away from God. You know, the best choices we make in life are uphill choices. It's not easy to keep believing when things are going wrong. But it's always the right thing to do. And this lady needs a miracle very clearly. But before we look at miracles, it's important for us to understand that her normal, regular means of God providing had all been exhausted. Sometimes in life, we're looking for the miracle. Yeah, we're looking for God to break through. We're looking for something exciting to happen in our life. And the truth is this, that there are many, many ordinary mechanisms that God gives to you and I by which he provides for us. And... Before we look at the miracle, I just want you to see briefly what those three things are in this story. The the first thing that she doesn't, and she doesn't have any of these things available to her, the first of these is work, self-provision. The normal mechanism for, for your needs to be met is for you to work, to earn some money. God put Adam to work in the Garden of Eden. And he did that before the fall. Work was part of the plan of God in Eden. And Even in this story, at the end of the story, after the miracle is done, she ends up with a house full of olive oil, which isn't much good for getting by in life. She's going to have to do work to transfer the olive oil into cash and into food and all those things. Work is in the heart of God. Work's in the heart of God for you and for me. But it wasn't available to her. Second means of usual provision is through family. She was fortunate enough to be married and in, in that culture and in this culture, marriage is a huge benefit because if, if, if one struggles, then your resources are shared and pooled. Family is a wonderful benefit. Every one of us here would be part of a family, whether we're a son or a daughter or a mum or a dad or a sibling. In the Bible, family is a primary unit to care for one another, to look out for one another. And if you're a Christian, you're particularly supposed to look out for your family members. As, as people, as human beings, we're made to be dependent. From the moment you battled yourself out of your mother's womb and she slapped you onto her breast. And aren't you glad at that moment the nurses didn't pull you back and say, hey, no, no, 
He's the, you have to learn to get along by yourself in life. <laughs> of course not. We're made to be dependent. We're meant to have whole phases of life where we're dependent on another. The goal for us is that, that yeah, we, we gain some independence and we're able for others to depend on us. Perhaps in elderly life, you'll be dependent on your children or others to look after you. And, and in our world of individualism and independence, people can say, well, that, that doesn't feel right. We, we shouldn't have to depend on other people. Sometimes you can find yourself saying that phrase to people. You know, when somebody does something kind for you because you're really in need, you find yourself saying, oh, you shouldn't have to do this for me. Well, yes, they should. <laughs> when we're in need, we're designed for other people to come in and help us when we need it. And family is a primary mechanism for how we do that. Here's the third means of, of grace that God normally gives. It's community, wider community. She was part of this community called the, the prophets within Israel. And, and when she had a problem, she knew who to go to. She went to Elisha, who was one of the prophets. And she said, hey, this is the situation. God's designed you to be a part of community. It's how he normally works to provide your needs and for, for other people to have their needs met through you. Church is a wonderful thing. God didn't make Christians to be loners. He made them to be in community. But, you know, church isn't the only community that you'll be part of. And in a city like this, it's, it's likely you're part of a number of communities. If you've got a, a job and, and you get on with your work colleagues, then it's likely you're part of a work community where you'd have some kind of care for one another. Or if you're part of a, a neighbourhood in, in uh, Edinburgh where the neighbours talk to one another, it does happen, I hear, <laughs> then you probably look out for one another. You take each other's bins out and, and those sorts of things. There's a level of support that we get. And community is a hugely valuable asset. Each has its part in playing or meeting your needs. Maybe it's mums at the school gate. Not everybody can always help when you need it, but perhaps somebody can. Now, it's important to realise, as we move on to talk about the supernatural provision of God, that every normal provision of God is from him, right? Every good thing that he puts in your life to care for you and love you, whether that feels supernatural or ordinary, is a gift from him. And we do a great wrong. And we, we, we don't honour God as we should when we, we kind of sit here a little bit bored. This happens when you're in your 40s, by the way. When, when, you, when you sit there and you think, well, nothing's exciting happening in my life. I'm not seeing many miracles in my life. That's because you're living this incredibly stable life where God is providing for you regularly through work, through family. All of these boxes are being ticked through community. All of these big questions have been answered for a while. And what we're meant to do is give thanks to God in that situation. Say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not in this widow's situation. She was desperate. Would you, would you want to be in her situation? No, of course not. Make sure you're somebody who honors God by giving thanks for the provision he does in your life every day. There's a verse in Isaiah. I read it the other week. It said... All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Recognize God in the ordinary. But let's look at God's miraculous way now. When normal means are exhausted, 
These verses teach us that God can be trusted to still meet our needs. God isn't phased by what is normally possible. He does what is supernaturally possible, and he does that for us. God can be trusted. And here's about five points. Firstly, first principle of receiving God's miraculous provision, it came out of a place of prayer. Sure, she came to Elisha. Elisha was the face of God in that community. It was her way of saying, I need God. She wasn't simply coming to him as a friend. She was coming to him as the prophet of God, saying, do you have a word from God for me on this one? She was coming to God. Miracles are born from the place of prayer where we throw ourselves onto God. Here's the second thing we see about this miraculous provision, that it starts small. She's directed to bring her insignificant resources to God. Elisha says to her, what do you have? Does that sound like a phrase that you read somewhere else in the Bible? Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? When Jesus says to the disciples, well, can you give them something to eat? And they say, I don't think so. And, and they say, well, what? He, he says, what, what do you have? And they say, we've got some loaves and some fish. Well, same question comes to this lady. It makes me think, this is part of God's usual way of dealing with things. When he's going to do the supernatural in your life, he wants to take what is ordinary and insignificant and small. It's not going to be the solution by itself, but when God multiplies it, it is. Oil was a precious commodity in those days, used for cooking, used for heating, used for lighting, used for medicine. The third thing you see is how private the nature of this miracle is. In fact, Elisha says to her, look, go inside and shut the door, just you and your kids. I've never understood quite why Jehovah Jireh doesn't put a banner up outside the house and say, miracle here, come and see. But it seems to be the nature of God's way of providing that he seems to do things behind closed doors. Feeding of the 5,000, nobody really knew what was going on except Jesus and the 12. Don't understand it. But God's miracles in your life are often done in discreet ways. In fact, all that people in the community would have known there is that suddenly this lady had become some kind of oil baron overnight. <laughs> She's suddenly got the biggest olive oil shop in town. Like, where did it come from? And somebody would have said, you know, somebody would have rationalized and said, oh, she obviously came into some money or something. But she knew it was a miracle. And here's the nature of miracles in your life. Often they don't make sense to other people. Have you experienced that? When God answers a prayer and when you try and tell somebody else about it, and they're like, really? <laughs> have you ever had that? Was that just me? I, I, um, I often find that. Because the things I'm praying for, if I'm honest, they're, they're not things that I want to tell you about or talk to you about because you think, he's really praying for that? <laughs> and when God answers it, you're like, and God answered that? Oh, my goodness. There's, a couple of years ago, I was going to a meeting, and I was really uh, anxious about it. And I was sitting in my car outside waiting to go into this thing, and, and, uh, and I was just praying to God. And in, and in that moment of sort of foolish weakness that us Christian leaders have from time to time, you know, I was listening to my Spotify playlist. If you don't know Spotify, it's like an online playlist thing where you can listen to your favorite worship tunes. I only have one playlist on Spotify. It's called Worship One. 
And Worship One has all of my favorite worship songs in it, with some additional songs that seem to have found their way in there over time. And it, there's a, a few classical pieces, there's some kids' music in there. And there's all sorts. Anyway, in, the, in this moment of weakness, when I'm praying to God and I'm saying, God, I need a sign from you. God, the next track on Spotify, because it was on random play, that I need it to be a word from you. And I was expecting some worship song about trusting God or something. Instead, the next song on the track was the theme tune of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> and the words went like this. The sun came up and it was smiling at me. It's going to be a good one. Just wait and see. It's the best day ever. And it sounds utterly ridiculous, but God met me in that moment. I actually started crying in the car. I was like, God, here I am worrying and you're just laughing at me. It was God's way of saying, I've got it covered. Yeah. See, I, I've told you that story, and you're just laughing at me. <laughs> it's not, I can't say that's proof that God exists, is it? Can I? No, but, but hey, it's proof to me. And, and the miracles of God in your life are often so personal and so private, but they're so worthwhile. The nature of private trust in God. And here's the other thing about this. This lady, I don't know if we've said four or five anyway, but the other thing about this lady is so she, she did this private thing. She, she followed through in obedience. So she went in the house with her two children. And uh, this is a small teapot for, for the sake of those listening on audio and for those who are more than two feet from the stage. This is a tiny, tiny children's teapot. This lady, she had a little olive oil, a tiny little amount. And her instruction was, Get every pan you can find, get every pot, and fill it with this. She obeyed. Would you? <laughs> I mean, she's got the children there. I mean, I can only imagine if they were teenagers what they'd be saying to her right now. <laughs> Mum has lost the plot. I mean, you think that about your parents anyway, right, when you're a teenager, but here she is. She's holding the olive oil in her hand, and she's tipping it up, and they're thinking, what on earth are you doing? Here's what she was doing. She was obeying God. If you want to see God's miraculous provision in your life, you, you need to do what he says, even when it seems silly. And she did what was silly, and she started pouring into one container after another. And God started to do it. Do you know, it's so important. I want you to see the monotony of this miracle as well. It was olive oil, olive oil, olive oil, olive oil. What did she need? Cash, cash, cash. After pouring a few things, she might have thought, I wonder if God's going to do anything else here today. I'd, I'd like some bread, perhaps, a, you know, a, a holiday. Any, anything like this would be good. <laughs> but what God keeps giving is, is oil. And here's something else about the provision of God in your life that He'll often just do the same thing again and again and again. And it's not that he doesn't believe in diversity. It's this thing in the Bible called gifting. He actually gives you things that he wants you to grow and excel in. And this lady, the gift he gave was, he said, well, this is what I've given you. This is what I've given you. I don't want you to despise that and say, God, give me something different. I want you to use what you've got and start using it and trusting it to God's miraculous power to, to actually fulfill the very thing that he's calling her to do. 
In the Bible, in Romans chapter 12, it says this about your gifts. It says, if your gift is, uh, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's leading, lead. If it's showing mercy, show mercy. If it's encouraging, then encourage. It's making the same point. It says, find your gift, Christian. Find it. And keep doing it again and again and again. It only works when you do something with your gift. And as Christians, we're bad at this. We, 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 we look at our gifts and you think, well, I prefer theirs. What they seem to have is much more exciting. God, would you make me like them, please? And God says, no, I'd, I'd like you to do what I'm asking you to do with your life. To use your gift again and again and again. Maybe you've got a gift of hospitality. Maybe you've got a gift of friendship with people. Maybe you've got a gift of prophesying. Maybe you've got a gift of praying for the sick. Do it again and again and again. And here's what this story teaches us. The grace of God will grow and grow and grow and grow through you simply expressing your gift again and again and again and trusting it to God. It also applies for seasons of life. God wants to multiply grace to you in every season of your life. If you're a teacher here today, well done. You've nearly made it to half term. Isn't that great news? Here's the bad news. You've got another four terms to go. (laughs) Right? Come to God and get grace again and again and again and again. Some of you feel exhausted at this point in the year, which is bad news because we're only like 15 weeks in or something. Go to God, say, I need grace for more, and God will give you more. Maybe you're in a phase of life that that, that you're looking for grace in. Maybe you're single here today. And as a single person, you can sometimes just sit and look at this little pot and say, well, I'd rather it was something different. But the truth is this, the Bible says that singleness is a gift from God. And the truth is this, and I've seen this in so many people, when you begin to pour out this gift on the world, the grace of God explodes through you. But give it to God. Don't just look at it. It's not meant to be looked at. It's meant to be poured out. Your gifts are to be poured out. Maybe you're in a season of grieving in your life. Remember back to past scenes of God pouring out his grace as you trust him for more. His grace has led you safe thus far. Grace will lead you home. Take the grace of God in you and pour it out and God will do the miraculous through you. Put yourself in a place of need. Here's something I just want to encourage you, a very practical point. We're seeing this amazing thing, Alpha, on a on a Tuesday, after, uh, Tuesday evening here, 40 people in attendance, so exciting. This new Alpha film series, God is pouring out his spirit on it. And people are being drawn to come to know Jesus. And here's the truth, we're pouring out the oil. You know, God's pouring out his oil, and it's here every Tuesday night. I wonder how many houses in our community we could run Alpha in, in weeks and months to come. And uh, I was just chatting to, to Nat the other day, who's our, one of our student leaders, and he he said, oh, he said, I could never bring anybody to the Alpha course. He said, so I'm running it in my home, and I've got a couple of friends coming along each week, and I put the film on, and I say, hey, what do you think? You could do that, couldn't you? I bet you could. And here's the wonderful thing. You'll see God pouring out provision into your life when you trust him to do that. 
One final thing. I want you to flip this story around for a moment. And uh, I want you to, to, to see this story from, from the, the, the jar's point of view. Okay? Because <laughs> we haven't considered that viewpoint yet, right? We're, we're, it's all been about the lady so far and, and, and her needs. And, and I just want you to think about the pot for the moment, right? For, for these jars. Oh, think for a moment. You've sent your kids, if you've got kids, you've sent them next door to the neighbors, and they're knocking on the door and they say, hello, could we borrow some pots, please? What kind of pots are you going to give those children? You're going to give them your ice cream tubs. You're not going to give them your finest Denby. You're going to give them the stuff at the back of your cupboard or your ice cream containers or, or your milk containers. You say, hey, this will do, kids. You can have that. So th these containers that this miracle olive oil fills, they receive the most exciting commission of their life so far. And I just wonder if this is what is in the Apostle Paul's mind in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, where he says, we have this treasure talking about the knowledge of Christ in us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And if you're not a Christian here today, then I want to say this is the nature of what it is to be a Christian. It's to have God come and live inside you. And you might look at your life, and I, I found this in the bin outside. <laughs> and it's not even been washed out, to be honest. That, it's still got milk in it. But this is, this is how we are before God, before Jesus comes and takes away our sin. We're discarded. In fact, we live in a world where, sadly, humans do get left on the margins of society. But, you know, everyone is precious before God. And God's in the business of taking the discarded, the wasted, the, those who are thrown away, the ordinary, the everyday pots and pans of life, you and me. And he fills us with the most valuable thing of all, the person of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit. And today you can receive that most precious oil of all. And you can do that because I told you the story of Abraham at the beginning, where he saw a ram in the thicket and the ram became the substitute. So Isaac got led off. Well, it mirrors a much bigger and better story in the Bible where God the Father sends his son Jesus and Jesus goes and dies on a cross. He is the ultimate sacrifice for the sin of the world. And in that moment where Jesus shouted, my God, where are you? You've forsaken me. In that moment, God didn't substitute Jesus. He didn't find something else or somebody else to take his place because Jesus was the Lamb of God who took your place and mine. And he took your place so that you can know God and so that you can have God come and fill your life so that you can know the most precious thing of all living in your life. And you know, this is the very foundation of why I can say with absolute certainty that God will always provide for you final scripture with which I'll finish. Romans 8 verse 32, Paul said this, He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's ultimate provision for your life, Jesus. Because he's given you Jesus, it means all your other needs will be met in life and in death. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Um, and let's ask God to just fill us with his power again. And let's ask God to meet all of our needs. Why do you bring your needs before God right now? I don't want to embarrass you this morning and ask for people to, to stand up. There'd be many, many different things. Some of those might feel silly. Some of those are very, very serious. But the truth is this. We come before Jehovah Jireh the God who has covenanted himself to you to provide for you. And you're part of his family if you are in Christ. So Lord, I just want to lift before you every situation in need in this room right now. And I want to pray that you'd pour the oil of your provision Lord, you know where miracles are needed here. And I ask you for it, Lord. I thank you that you're utterly trustworthy. Why don't you just Tell God in your heart now that you trust him. He's the most trustworthy person you could ever know. So Lord, we ask for breakthrough. We ask for stories of your amazing grace. I had a picture as I was praying earlier of somebody just near the edge of a cliff and I, I just felt God pulling you back. He cares for you.